Oh, you know, when, when I was a child, um, I was amazed by famous imitators. P- people who would act uh, so much like someone famous that if you closed your eyes, you would swear it was them. And sometimes they would even dress up like them and learn their body language and their gestures. Uh, now, th- this, some of you won't have any idea who I'm talking about. But uh, some of you have been around a little while. Hopefully you remember the same. How many of you remember Rich Little? How many of you remember Rich Little? Remember Rich Little? I used to love him. He was a fabulous imitator of people. And so uh, because I was taken by him and he was kind of a big deal when I was a little kid, I grew up watching him and being fascinated. How is it a person can make themselves sound like and act like someone else so well. So I, I, I would do that. You know, I, I would imitate Elvis Presley because I'm you know, from Memphis and you know, it, was, it was the big deal. I would, celebra- I, I would imitate him. I would imitate Paul Harvey you know, for the rest of the news. You know, page two. You know, the whole, if you remember his radio voice. And Ronald Reagan. Well, you know, Nancy. And you know, I do the whole thing. And so I grew up with that whole thing just imitating people because it was, it was so much fun and I was fascinated by it. As I grew a little bit older, I spent a little too much time imitating people because I didn't really know who I was. Uh, I didn't have a strong spiritual male figure in my life. So when I was in high school, I found myself imitating my basketball coach because he was a strong uh, authoritarian leader. He was spiritual. He was super clear on who he was. And I found myself, you know, imitating him. And then as I got a little bit older and I got called to ministry and I went off to college, I found myself kind of attaching to other people. I'm one of those impressionable people. You know, like I went to Philadelphia to hang out with my relatives uh, for a couple of weeks. And when I came back, I'd picked up an accent. You know, I'm kind of one of those kind of people. So I'd say water ice. You want some water ice? You know, I, I just kind of, some, some of you Philadelphia people, Pennsylvania people know what I'm talking about. I just kind of, I was impressionable. And, and so I remember um, as I grew toward my call in ministry, um, then I met my, my wife, uh, and then I met her dad, uh, who, how many of you know Ron Cox? How many of you know him? Yeah, yeah. Very impressionable person. I mean, you know, very, very, he will leave an impression on you. Somebody said you don't meet him, you experience him. That's right. And so I found myself, because he was such an um, effective person, you know, acting like him. Because I really didn't know who I was, and I really didn't know who God had called me to be. And one, one evening, I was walking in the old church building where the school is now, and I cut around a corner, and I was coming down the hallway. I don't remember, you know, I was all excited about something. And I was walking down the hallway, and the lights were off, and a couple of teenagers were sitting leaning up against the door. And they go, look at here. Here comes Ron Cox. And I thought, it's pitch black dark. I guess there's something about the way I'm walking that makes them think I'm somebody else. And I said, man, I, it really bothered me. And I thought, I've got to figure out who I am. Uh, Eric Hoffner said, when people are free to do as they please, they usually imitate each other. Isn't that true? When people are free to do as they please, they usually imitate each other. And I think it's a shame that so many of us spend so much of our life acting like somebody else. And never really knowing who it is that God called us to be. 
So I want to read this quote to you from Eugene Peterson who wrote the message translation of the Bible. It's a little bit longer and he uses language we're not familiar with, but I think you'll get the point as we get near the end. In the life of faith, each person discovers all the elements of a unique and original adventure. We are prevented from following in one another's footsteps and are called to an incomparable association with Christ. The Bible makes it clear that every time there's a story of faith, it is completely original. Listen to this. God's creative genius is endless. He never fatigued and unable to maintain the rigors of creativity resorts to mass-producing copies. You are completely unique. You know why? Because God doesn't make copies. He doesn't have to because he's God. And that's really what this whole series has been about that we've called unique. God has made you completely unique. In the first week we said you are unique because God made you. In other words, you and I as human beings are completely unique among all of creation because God made us and breathed the breath of life inside of us and we're completely unique through creation. Last week, Pastor Mark shared with you, you are also unique on the earth if you are a Christian because the Bible says you are a son or daughter of God. You have a unique identity as a saved person. And then this morning, what I want to share with you is God, God made you, God saved you today, God gifted you. So now, as we have started with this wide spectrum, we're zeroing in now on, on even more of the uniqueness that is you. God gifted you, which means you are uniquely gifted. Ephesians 4, 16, I want to read this first because it tells us why is it did God gift you? Why did God give you gifts? Listen to this. From him the whole body, that's a word for church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In other words, when you take the gift that God gave you and you use it toward the purposes of God, not only does that group of Christians grow, you grow. So here's how we say it at Kingwood, God gifted you to grow you. The gifts that God put in you are one of the greatest catalysts inside of your life to bring forth growth and potential. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as uh, the morning goes on. Now, if part of your uniqueness are the gifts that God gave you, and if God gifted you to grow you, then one of the most important things you and I could do is find out a little bit more about those spiritual gifts. What do we really know about spiritual gifts? I think sometimes when we talk about this subject, people have this unconscious feeling that isn't this kind of like astrology? I mean, isn't this sort of like, are you Pisces or Sagittarius? Or I mean, aren't these things, you know, coincidentally true sometimes, but it's not really clear how it works? Isn't this really just kind of wishful thinking? And what I would say to you is, absolutely not. It is as true as the Bible itself. Because we'll look all over the Bible this morning and learn what, what is it that we really know about spiritual gifts. So here you go. If you've got something to write with and want to take some notes, number one, every Christian 
has at least one spiritual gift. Non-Christians do not have spiritual gifts. They have strengths, they have talents, they have abilities, they do not have spiritual gifts. But every believer has at least one spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 says, I wish that all of you were, as I am, Paul is writing this, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. Sometimes we think we have no gifts, frankly, because we compare ourselves to other people who we admire. And we look at their gift and we say, well, I, you know, what, what can I do? I don't have any gifts at all. We look at people who are musical or people who can uh, build or decorate or organize or do something impressive. And we say, I can't do any of that. It took me a long time to find my gifts because basically I can talk. And I thought, well, I'm not sure if that's a blessing or a curse. Because I can tell you, I got in school, in school I got in trouble a lot for talking. And I thought, anybody can talk. Anybody can run their mouth. How's that a big deal? It didn't seem like a big deal. But if you're a Christian, the Bible says you have at least one spiritual gift. You are not the first exception that has ever existed on earth. And that's how we feel. I don't know, what can I do? Number two. Spiritual gifts are discovered, they are not chosen. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, All these, speaking of gifts, are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one as He determines. So God makes the choice on who gets what gift, and God gives the gift. Romans 12, 6 says, We have different gifts, we don't all have the same thing, According to the grace given to each one of us. Gifts are given, they are not chosen. So it's not like God kind of spreads a menu out and says, pick. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I, I was going through a Wendy's drive through late one night. Because that's what college students do, is they eat late at night. And so we were going through the drive through And this uh, girl who's working the window, I don't know how we got in this conversation, but she starts telling us about her spiritual gifts. And I'm thinking, this is really interesting. You know, I want a cheeseburger and the gift of discernment, and you know, a couple other things. This would be phenomenal. You put a little you know, prophecy on my fries or something. I don't know how that works back there. And, and so she's telling us, and she said, yes. She says, I have seven of the nine gifts, and uh, I'm working on the other two now. And I didn't know a lot about gifts, but I thought, you're wrong. I mean, that, that, something, something's not right here. That doesn't sound right. And, and that's really not how it works at all. You don't work on the gifts you don't earn the gifts. You don't become a better Christian than somebody else or whatever and get gifts. That's just not how it works. God doesn't just put a menu out and say, now, now pick what you want. And now to a modern American, that may feel limiting. But I want you to consider for a minute the blessing in it. Imagine if God were to ask you to choose your own gifts. That's a lot of pressure. Sometimes when I'm in a drive-thru behind somebody, I wish the guy in front of me didn't have the choice to pick what he wanted to eat. Because it takes a long time. I wish some people didn't have the opportunity to choose their own tattoo. There you go. But what you eat at the drive-thru or what you paint on your body is a lot lower issue than what spiritual gift you have. It determines the direction and the usefulness of your whole life. 
So think about how God has blessed us then. He knows the future. He knows us. He created us. He saved us. He made us. He set us in relationship with himself and his family. And he uniquely chose the gifts that we need the most. I'm glad he picked. I'm glad I don't have to do that. If we don't get to pick, then how do we, how do we know which ones we have? Well, I, I, as I said, I think they're discovered, not chosen. So let me give you a few thoughts on how you could discover the gifts that you have. Here's, here's a, an idea. You can take a spiritual gifts assessment. Are these perfect? No. Are they in the Bible? No. Should you take one? Yes. Just go and get all that out there. Right? It's not magic. It's not perfect. It, it, is, it is a way to begin the conversation on, on finding what has God put in you now. We have set up, we've been working on this for months, just so we could have it ready for today for you. We have set up an online, 24-7 access, a free spiritual gifts assessment that you can log on to your phone right now and take, and uh, you will get immediate feedback. You sign in for a little account, and then you, you log on, and you take the assessment, it just it takes a few minutes, it's not that long, and you will, get, you will get a response, and you will have an outline of your gifts in order of highest to medium to lowest, and then descriptions on what all of them mean. Now, I want to show you how to do that. You can go to our website, and if you'll go to Next Steps, and then once you click on Next Steps, it'll bring you to all the next steps, which are coming now. You go down to, where is it? Uh, start Serving. You can go to Start Serving, and when you get there, you'll scroll down again, there's a little cool guy, take a spiritual gifts assessment. You push that button, and it'll ask you for a little bit of information, uh, and it'll do the whole thing for free for you. So I want to encourage you, if you've never taken a spiritual gifts assessment or haven't taken one in a while, I took this one again. I've probably taken, I've probably taken 15 of them in my lifetime. I took another one, I took this one, about uh, three, three weeks ago and got the whole report, and it was, it was impressive. So I want to encourage you to, to take that just to begin your, getting your mind on what is it that God put inside me. Here's something else you could do. You could ask a friend who knows you, hey, what gifts do you see in me? Here's, a, here's another idea, and maybe the best one. Practice using your gift. And when you use it, you learn more that way than you'll learn any other way. Just take the gift and try it and, and see, see what happens. Now, you might be nervous. You might be afraid. That doesn't mean you don't have a gift there. It just means the gift might be unused. It might be immature because it's that you can grow your gift. You can't grow into new gifts, but you can grow the gift you got. And the first time you use it, it might feel a little awkward. It might feel a little strange. But you also will learn when you try something, hey, I'm not gifted there at all. I remember when I was a teenager, I was one of those, uh, I was called to ministry, I was in a small church, and so, man, I, I, I'd do anything. You know, I'd serve anywhere, I'd do anything, and so they put me in rainbows. How many of you know what a rainbow is? You know what rainbows are? Rainbows are like th three and four year old or something like that, you know, the little ones. I mean, I'm like 16. You know, I don't know anything about that. And I was the, I had no younger siblings in my family. I don't know about kids. But I was called, and I was willing, and so they stuck me in there. So I got in there, and this little kid in the room decides he's going to be bad. And, and I, 
no, you know, that's bad. This is church. We're not going to do that. And so he's coloring on his paper, and he just starts coloring off the paper like this. Like all off the paper, like on the table, all across the table. Hey, I, I grew up poor, man. You don't treat stuff like that. You might not get another table as long as you live. So he's just coloring like that. I said, hey, chill out. He looked at me. I said, man, just color on the paper. You know, you don't have to. It's all right. I'll get you more paper. You don't color many papers. You just color on the paper. And so he went. And, and, I, and I got right down his little face, his little chubby face, and I said, if you color on that table one more time, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to walk you out to the dumpster, and I'm going to throw you in it. And I stared at him. And he went just as big as he could. And I snatched him up out of that chair. I threw him over my shoulder. I walked down the hallway. I walked out the back door of the church, and I headed to the dumpster. And he said, no, no, I won't ever do it again. And he starts crying and crying and crying. And that was the associate pastor's son. How, how can I put this gently? So they helped me to learn that my spiritual gift was not with children. And I thought, I don't, I don't belong here. That was the last day I ever taught in rainbows. I thought, I don't, I don't belong here. I belong with the big kids. And I do. It's a, whole different, it's a whole different thing. But when you practice your gift, you learn a lot. Sometimes you learn where you belong, and sometimes, like me, you learn where you don't belong. But that's also important, because it's a shame how many people waste so much of their life in the wrong place. And, and then they're miserable, and there's no joy, and there's no fruit, and there's no effectiveness. So you can discover your gift. You can find out. Number three, spiritual gifts are given to us to serve others. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, spiritual gifts are given for spiritual purposes. They aren't given to make us famous. They aren't given to make us popular. They aren't given even to um, uh, you know, make us feel good about ourselves or to, uh, for us to get credit. It's not even our gift. It's not like we picked it. We didn't pick it. We, 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 didn't, we didn't decide. God decided. So you will know that you're using your spiritual gifts when the people that you are pointing those gifts toward are being blessed and are flourishing and are growing. When you see that result, you know you're using the gifts that God has given to you because God has given them to you that you might elevate others and strengthen others and serve others. Number four. What else do we know about spiritual gifts? Your gift is only effective when connected to the church. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 17. There's a fascinating, this whole chapter is fascinating, but there's a few thoughts I want to pull out of it this morning. If the whole body, now, now when you read the word body in the New Testament, that's the New Testament word for church. So if the whole church, but it, it's a metaphor whereby the writer of this book is saying 
that um, the church is like a physical body. It's like a human body. So, that, so that's the analogy. If the whole body were an eye, if the whole church, if every person in the church were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, everyone here has an incomplete set of the gifts. You don't have all the gifts, and I don't have all the gifts, but together we got all the gifts. So we've got, to, we've got to use them together then. God gave you the gifts the people around you need, and God gave them the gifts that you need. And your gift is incomplete without theirs, and their gift is incomplete without yours. So, so you have to work together on it. If everyone had the same gift, or if everyone took their gift and went off on their own to do their own thing, that gift becomes very ineffective. It makes almost no difference. Because what difference could an eye or an ear make by itself? Verse 19. If they were all one part, where would the body be? In other words, if every one of us taught, if every one of us you know, served, if every one of us had administration, if every one of us had the gift of prophecy, if every one of us had the gift of mercy, where would the body be? Where would the church be? The church can't be represented in any one gift. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. When we try to use our gifts by ourselves, what we're saying to the rest of the church is, I don't need you. That's what we're saying. We're saying, I've got my gift, or I've got my gifts, and I don't need you, and I don't need the rest of it. Can you imagine how dumb it would be this morning if I could take a human eyeball and set it right here on the pulpit and stare at you? Watching. And that eyeball were to somehow be able to speak, but it couldn't because it has no mouth. See the problem? But if it were able to speak and it would say to you, just floating around with no arms or no legs or anything else, with no face, and would just be able to say to you, hey, everything's fine, just leave me alone. All I want to do is to be able to see. Can you imagine how, how, how dumb that would be? How dumb it would look with an eye floating around. I'm complete all by myself. Leave me alone. Just floating around. That's how we function when we separate ourselves from the church and say, I am a complete person without the body of Christ. You aren't and I'm not. We have to have one another's gifts. And it takes all the gifts working together to be effective. I can remember when we were serving in Mississippi and Hurricane Katrina struck. I saw an absolute, complete, modern-day miracle, and it changed me, and I'll, I'll never be the same because of what I saw. Katrina was horrific, and it was massive, and it was, um, and it was awesome in many ways in, its, in, the, in the power and destruction that it brought in. But I saw a response by the church, by the body of Christ, all over the country, all over the world even in, at times, sweep into that area and begin to serve. And it was absolutely phenomenal. We didn't even have time to organize it. People just tended to flow to a place of service based on their gifts. Because we had, 
We had thousands of people show up. We were hosting 200 people a day in our building who was living there. We fed three meals a day. They were using two or three different showers is all we had. And when you got 200 people, and most of them didn't tell us they were coming, they were like the Beverly Hillbillies. They just loaded up and moved. And here they come. And what are you going to do with them? I don't know. But they're like, well, we're here. We might as well find something to do. And you know what they did? They tended to gravitate toward their giftedness. And people with phenomenal gifts of organization organized so much of that work. And the people that could cook, cooked for 200 people a day. We didn't even have a a pantry. We didn't have a food supply. They came up with food somewhere and just kept putting it out there. We had people with gifts of mercy and people who could build, people with gifts of counseling, people with gifts of giving who just came and gave. People people who uh, were healers, doctors. We had a whole medical clinic that treated 10,000 patients on our property. And people came and just operated in their giftings. And it was phenomenal. I saw a vision of what Jesus wants the body of Christ to be all the time. And man, can I tell you, when the government was stalled and didn't know what to do, the church was moving and moved and moved and moved. That's what That's what God had in mind when he gifted you. He had in mind dynamic impact on the world around you. See, Kingwood is only as strong as the people in it who are using their gifts. You take that out, we fall like a house of cards. We got nothing. Number five. God has a unique plan for your gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, there was a verse in there I skipped a minute ago that I wanted to save until now. Listen to this. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God has put you in the body with the gifts he gave you just like he wanted you to be. So the key is not trying to become someone else. The key is trying to become who God made you to be. The key is trying to discover this miracle inside. It's like, it's like I said to you a couple weeks ago. Look, do you know what people call you when you use your gifts? Gifted. You know what they call you when you try to be someone else? Average. And that's, the, and that's the miracle that God has put inside of you of those gifts. God placed you with those gifts in this exact time, in this exact place. And that means he has a unique plan for the gifts he's given you. We've been saying it like this in our series. You are a unique expression of the glory of God that does not exist anywhere else on earth. A few months ago, um, we were having lunch after uh, one of our Next Step classes. And uh, in the lunch, I was asking for feedback from how the classes go. And, uh, you know, did some of you find your gifts and how did they go? And a lady shared a, a most powerful story. She said, you know, this was so powerful for me because I took the, the gifts assessment. And she said, I, I scored really high as a teacher. And she said, I, I never knew that. 
I never knew that I had that gift. She said, but for the last several months, maybe even year, she said, I've been feeling like God has been encouraging me to, that he wants me to be a teacher. And she said, and when I, when I saw that result on the assessment, it was a huge confirmation for me that what I'd been sensing in my heart was really true. And, and so she said, I think, and her husband's sitting there going, yes, I've been telling her this. You know? And she said, and I think God wants me to go back to school and get my degree and teach. And she actually uh, began substitute teaching. And so... When you find the gift that God put in you, you realize that God has a plan for your life that is as unique as you are. Because he went to all this trouble to make you and to save you and to gift you. So I've got two questions for you this morning. Here's the first one. Have you tried to find the gifts that God has given to you? I'm not asking have you found them. I'm not asking, do you know what they are? I'm asking you, have you tried? Here's the second question. Are you trying to use the gifts that God gave you for his purposes? Are, are, I'm not asking if you are. I'm asking you if you're trying. And I'm asking it that way for a very specific reason. Jesus' disciples once asked him what the end of the world would be like. That's a loaded question. And one of the answers that Jesus gave was a parable. Now, a parable is just a story that's been made up that uh, proves, proves a point or shows the truth. And so Jesus told him a parable. We find that parable in Matthew 25. In this parable, there's a man who goes on a journey, um, and he leaves his wealth with several servants. And he says to them, now I want you to take care of this while I'm gone, and I, and I want you to to manage it well. Take good care of it. Manage it well. And he goes away for a long time. And so the way the story goes is he gave one of them five bags of gold. He gave the other one two bags of gold. And he gave the last one one bag of gold. And when he came back, the Bible says he'd been gone for a long time, and he came back and the, and the guy who had five bags of gold had managed it so well that he now had ten. He doubled it. And the guy with... Um, uh, Two bags of gold had managed it so well, he, he doubled it and now had four. And then there was the guy that had one bag of gold, and that's where I really want to pick up the story, and, and I want to read in Matthew 25, what happened to the guy with one bag of gold? Here's what it says. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, listen to this, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. In other words, you're, you're not fair and, um, and you're not going to treat people fair. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here's what belongs to you. Now, what, what's the, let's just zip through the whole, what's the problem? The big problem is this guy misjudged God's character. And he said, you're not right. You're harsh. And you're not fair. And you're mean. And you're not going to treat me right. So, so this is what I'm going to do. And verse 25 says, I was afraid. Right? I was afraid of what you would do to me if I put this 
this uh, wealth out there, and what if I risked it? What if I lost it? What if I failed? I was afraid of you. Verse 26, his master replied, listen, he was not happy. You wicked, lazy servant. Whoa! Where did that come from? There's a lot of ways to rebuke a brother in love without calling him wicked or lazy. You wicked, lazy servant. So, listen to this. Here's what he picked up on. So you knew, did you, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, listen to this. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. What's he saying to him? Look, look, look. You misjudge me. I'm not harsh. I'm not mean. I'm not against you. I'm for you. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. At least if you would have put my money in the bank and drew percent of interest, I would have accepted that. You know why? At least I knew you tried. I would have accepted that. And so what did he do? In verse 28 he says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten. So now that guy's got eleven. And he has none. People have all kinds of reasons that they don't try to find their gifts and use them. I don't have enough time. I don't know where to start. You you can start on our website. I don't know what's available. I don't don't believe I'm good at anything. I think God's not telling the truth in the Bible when he says I have a gift. I don't think I do. I don't want to get stuck serving somewhere and I can't get out. I had a bad experience in the past. I I don't have gifts because when I look at this person and this person and this person and this person and how gifted they are, I could never be like that so I shouldn't even try. Or maybe looking for perfection. You know what I think is behind most of that? We just misjudge God's character. We think he's out to get us or to use us or to be harsh or to be unfair or God just wants to use me and wear me out and burn me out and he doesn't even care about me personally. That was, that was such a predominant theology in the, um, in, in the earlier years of the church that in the mid-90s we had a guy that even wrote a song about it. I don't know if you ever heard this. It was called, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. Anybody ever heard that song? Please, I, w- I want to read the words to you. Somebody was kind of making fun of this guilt trip we felt, and this misjudgment of God. Listen to this. Oh, Lord, I'm your willing servant. You know that I have been for years. I'm here in this pew every Sunday and Wednesday. I've stained it with many a tear. I've given you years of my service. I've always given my best, and I've never asked you for anything much. So, Lord, I deserve this request. Please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes I'm just a man. I'm not a Tarzan. I don't like lions, gorillas, or snakes. I'll serve you here in suburbia in my comfortable middle-class life, but please don't send me out into the bush where the natives are restless at night. I'll see that the money is gathered. I'll see that the money is sent. I'll wash and stack communion cups. I'll tithe 11%. I'll volunteer for the nursery. I'll go on youth group retreat. I'll usher. I'll deacon. I'll go door to door. Just let me keep warm in this seat. Please don't send me to Africa. It, it, it's almost like this idea existed and maybe still exists a little when we misjudge God's character that I just don't get too close to God. Because if you get too close to God, He surely is going to make you do something you hate. 
He's going to make you miserable, and he's going to put you into the worst circumstance. And then you know what he's going to do? He's going to pat you on the back and say, no, I'm just trying to grow character in you. And you're going to be stuck. So you've got to hold God at arm's length. You know why? Because you cannot trust him. And can I tell you, it is an absolute lie. Because when you find the good, good Father's gifts that He put in you, you unlock great joy and purpose and fulfillment and life and passion and energy and joy. God wasn't harsh and He wasn't even punishing this guy for failure or risk. Even putting the money in the bank would have worked. God was frustrated at him because he took the treasure and instead of trying to do something with it, he dug a hole and put it in the hole. I wonder how many people here this morning have dug a hole and put their gifts in the hole and buried it. I wonder how many of God's good gifts are sitting this morning buried in a hole somewhere. God gave you the gifts because he cares about you and loves you. When I was a um, high schooler, I was about 11th grade, 12th grade, God had called me to ministry, and you have to understand, I, I, I had no preparation, no training, no nothing. And I ended up, watch this, I ended up leading a devotional the last 10 minutes of lunch, five days a week, my entire senior year of high school. Just leading a devotional. And a little group would come, and you know, I'd lead the devotional. And I had no idea what I was doing. But every night I would go home and open my Bible and I would say, God, what do you want me to say tomorrow? Like every night. I did it every night, five nights a week, my whole senior year. And it, it got me desperately searching to know and understand the Bible. And it got me desperately searching to learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit for what I'm supposed to even say. And it allowed me, watch this, to use my gift of teaching and leadership that I didn't even know that I had. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. There is nothing in my life that has been a catalyst for my own growth like tapping into the gifts that God put inside me. Let me tell you why. I'm a senior in high school. I've never been trained for anything. I don't know what I'm doing, but I just get, go to, before I go to bed every night, I open that Bible and I pray and say, Holy Spirit, you got to help me. And the next morning I go and I talk. And that routine began to change something inside me. And let me tell you what happened in my life. I'm the first male in my family to graduate high school. I'm the first West that ever attended college. And I went and got a degree and then I went and got another one. And I'm just telling you, there's nothing in my life that has been an accelerator for growth inside me like finding the gift God put in me and using it. And it has been a thrill ride. I would do it again. I would do it all over again. Because some of my greatest joys come from the place that God has gifted me and allowed me to know when I go to bed at night, I made a difference in somebody's life today. You're not going to make much difference in the areas you're not gifted in, but the areas you're gifted in, you will make the biggest difference of your life. It's important that you find where God has gifted you and where He wants to use you. 
Now, we're so convinced of that reality that we've been working for months at Kingwood to get ready to take our next step on the journey of helping you find your gifts. So we prepared the spiritual assessment that you found out about. It took a lot of work, but we're ready. We reinvented life streams, and now it's called Next Step Classes. You can take your online gifts assessment, and you can, you can show up to Next Step Classes in September and in October, and we will help you understand what, those, what the results of that means. We have created a new ministry team in our church, and you know what their entire job is? The whole ministry team's job is to help you find where your gift could be used at Kingwood Church. That's their whole ministry. Next week, next week, I want you to be here because we're going to do something called 30 Serve Launch. Next week when you come on this campus, you're going to see the foyer filled with people and we're going to have ministries organized by spiritual gifts. And if you take your assessment and know what, know what your gifts are, you can look around and say, my gifts could be used here. And 30 serve means you can serve with that gift in that area for 30 days. And like I did with rainbows, I don't think I made it 30 days in rainbows. But you can try it for 30 days, and if it's not the right spot, you know what we want you to do? Move. Don't stay there, because you are robbing the kingdom of God of impact if you stay where you don't belong. We want you to move. Now look, we were so convicted. This wasn't on the calendar We don't even know what we're doing. You might want to show up next week and see if we blow it. You might want to just come and see what happens. I don't even know if we're going to be good at it. We were so convicted by this series and this reality that as a staff we said, we've got to do more than just teach it. We've got to give people an opportunity to do something with it. And so look, next week, I don't even know if it's going to go well. But you know what? We're trying. Are you? We're trying. At least when God comes back at the end time and looks at Kingwood Church and says, what did you do with what we gave you? We might say, well, we put it in the bank to draw interest, but at least we tried. We did something with it. You are a unique expression of the glory of God that does not exist anywhere else on earth. Do you know why? Do you know why? God has some kind of incredible plan for your life, and that's the reason why. Next week, we're going to talk about how God has called you. So, man, I'd love for you to be here. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want to ask our prayer team to come. Every eye closed, and would you please open your hearts? And I just want to pray with you today, and I want to give you an opportunity to pray with our prayer team. As As we talked about at the end of worship this morning some of you are in a new season some of you things are changing in your life and today if you say you know what I'm heavy hearted and and I have a burden on my heart I have a need and today I am in a season of change and I need God's help in in a moment I'm going to ask you to come and let someone pray for you you can go ahead and come now if you want to but I'm going to ask you to come and let someone pray for you But you know why? Because these people who are on our prayer team are here to use their gifts. They have gifts of mercy and gifts of faith and gifts of discernment. And when they pray with you, you're engaging the body of Christ. So if you're here today and you say, you know, I need wisdom. Or I want to find the gifts that God has given me. 
Or I know God wants to use me, but I don't know how. And I, and I would love for someone to pray with me about that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to start praying for you. And as I do, if you need prayer, I want you to come right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of God in this house. I thank you for what you're doing. And I thank you for what you're saying. And I thank you for the invitation that you're giving us. You're calling us on to better and stronger and deeper places. And Lord, as we, as we engage you in prayer today, I pray that you'd begin to move and change our hearts and change our lives. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' mighty name. As the worship team begins to sing, if you need prayer, I want you to come right now and let us pray with you. If you need to be dismissed, you can be dismissed. If you want prayer, we'd love for you to come now. God bless you. Good to have you here.